People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. Instead of looking forward to sharing passion, we've got passion in the studio, in the personality of Tracy. Joining us, uh, welcome again to, to People of the Book. Tracy. Thank you. Thank you as ever for having me. I have to tell you, even though I feel sort of part of the Chai family and I've been coming here for a couple of years now, I'm terribly nervous this morning. For, yes, reasons unknown, but thank you. You have no reason to be. It's just passionate discussion about books. Well, yes, we'll have to start talking about the books so I can get sort of carried away in the books and the stories so I can forget my nerves. Um, what I'm going to start with today, because as you all know, I deal with Jonathan Ball local books in particular, but I read anything and everything. And what I wanted to start with this morning was a collection of poetry. And I've been reading a lot of poetry of late, first of all, because I hurt my hand and I couldn't hold big books as comfortably as I was able to prior to December. And also following Mary Oliver's death, I started reading a lot of poetry again. And I, I, I'm just loving it. And Jonathan Ball has just released towards the end of last year our new edition of the New Century of South African Poetry. It's now in its third edition, and we've added 125 new poets. And it's just, it's an incredibly beautiful collection just to dip into. So you, you're sort of moving from Zulu praise poetry to Maskande lyrics and your rap lyrics. There, there are some prophets of the city lyrics included in the book, along with some of Johnny Clegg's lyrics, sitting next to Langenhofen and Einke Kroch, sitting next to B.W. Villikazi. It really is a very beautiful, heart, heartfelt history of South Africa as you read it in all of our pain, diversity, our joy, our laughter. Um, and I really, I think I sort of feel like everybody really needs to have this on their shelves, not, you know, not as a prescribed book, not to be pretentious and pick poetry books up and go and sit in the corner wearing black and being deep and meaningful. This is a snapshot of our country over the last Century, and it is something really quite special. Um, do have a look out for it. It has its new jacket. It's, it's a very arresting jacket. It really is. It's got the two towers in Soweto. It has that on the cover, and it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful collection. And especially if you have a sore hand, it is <laughs> wonderful and easy to dip into. And then the next title that I wanted to move on to, which is actually, I, I think it's releasing in the next couple of weeks. It's a memoir called The Black Ridge House, written by a woman called Julia Martin, who is in her prose a poet of sorts. She lectures in the English department down at UCT. And in fact, Anki Kroch gives the shout on the front of the book and she says, of The Black Ridge House, the narrative keeps sharpening its, sharpening its lenses. Everything is irrevocably interwoven, but miraculously so. So it's Julia, Julia's telling of her mother's story, really. Her mum was born in 1918 and died in 2012 and spent the last few years of her life in an assisted living facility. She had dementia. And, well, she hate, she hated 
being in the home. She hated that her memories were slipping away from her. And she constantly would sort of battle with Julia, saying, take me home, I want to go home. But the home that she wanted to go to wasn't her home in Cape Town that she'd been living in for the previous 20 years. It was the home that she grew up in, in a tiny rural community called Blackridge, just out, outside of Peter Maritzburg. And she asks Julia one day to find the house for her, to find her home. She can no longer travel there. So for Julia to go on her behalf on this pilgrimage to Blackridge House, and her mother tasks her with taking a photograph of the property and to bring her back something from the garden. So it is the story of her mother's unraveling. Um, it is the story of this pilgrimage that she undertakes in order to return her mother home. And it is, it is breathtakingly beautiful, the writing. It really is something very very special and I, I quite like you know her mother in the height of her dementia and they were talking about the book because Julia was telling her that she was going to write a book about it and she had said to Julia the following in terms of what she was allowed to include and what she was allowed to say you can be as dramatic as you like when you're writing about this my memory is full of blotches like ink left about and knocked over so I think Julia's mother had some poetry in her soul too it's a beautiful manuscript Mark Gafisser also says of it, it is a quiet masterpiece, a page turning story told with deep empathy and insight in luminous prose so that is The Black Ridge House by Julia Martin and then the next one that I just wanted to touch on is also releasing within the next couple of weeks it's Dion Maas's new book for us Witboy in Berlin and I don't know if anybody remembers Vitboy in Africa, which he wrote for us a couple of years ago. Now, Dion Maas is a bit of a controversial character, TV producer, mu musician, writer. And some years ago now, he was offered the opportunity to go and live and work in Berlin or to live in Berlin and write in Berlin. And he had to choose between taking everything that he owned along with him or selling up his life here in South Africa and going to live in the first world. Um, and he decides on the latter. He sells everything that he owns. He packs his dogs up into a crate on the aeroplane and off they go to start their new lives in Berlin. And it's about trying to navigate his way through being a white African in First World Europe um, and his difficulties in that funny stories. He has a builder who refuses, or he's a handyman who refuses to speak anything but German to him. And he, uh, Dion Maas himself describes himself now as a dog walker in Berlin. So it's travel writing, it's anecdotes about his life, it's how you adjust to immigrating. And all told in his, uh, he has quite a sort of black humor, does Dion Maas. He's very tongue-in-cheek. He's a real character, and it's, he'll be in South Africa in, in March doing tours and talks. And if you get the chance to attend one of his talks or to listen to any of his interviews, he's a wonderful speaker, and Witboy in Berlin is a great read.
And then also coming on the South African side, and then I think we kind of round up what is releasing within the next couple of months, is uh, I was talking about the poetry book being a heart history. This is a history history. Um, the book is called South Africans versus Rommel, and it's written by a guy called David Brock Katz. Now, David Brock Katz is a Joburg native, and he's in the process of doing his PhD in military science through Stellenbosch University. And in this book, he's looking at South Africans' involvement in both East Africa and North Africa during World War II. And astonishingly, there were 30,000 South Africans participating in the African war. And their butting of heads with the British, we were the Union Defence Force then, but their butting of heads with military command in terms of how we fought wars, which was hugely influenced by the Boers' style of fighting, which was a far more sort of mobile style of fighting. And, I, well, it's just fascinating to me. My grandfather went across with the first, the first battalion from South Africa, and he fought for the duration of the war. And there, there's lots of new information here that David Brock Katz got from the German archives and the Italian archives, and quite how formidably they rated the South African forces. And yes, it's it's just a really great new look at a period in history that you imagine that you've read everything. And there are lots of fabulous photographs, too, that I've never seen before in all of my research. So that is South Africans vs. Rommel. We are in conversation with very passionate book lover, uh, Tracy Schwarzer from Jonathan Ball. And we'll be talking about more really exciting books. I think we'll be looking at some fiction as well, straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. Pick and Pay Norwood Harper have these pocket saving specials just for you. Pick and pay kosher o kral vors per kilo is sizzling at 79.99 per kilo. Pick and pay kosher roasted barbecue chickens are a sizzling 92.99 per kilo. Pick and pay kosher bottomless brisket is mouth watering at only 149.99 per kilo. Pick and pay kosher chocolate ginger slab cakes are sweet at 19.99 each. These specials are exclusive to Pick and Pay Norwood Harper and only while stocks last. Pick and Pay Harper Norwood, the best place to shop when you want to buy a lot. This is People of the Book on 101.9 and we are in conversation with Tracy from Jonathan Ball. Last night, Jonathan Ball had the media events to show their highlights for the first half of 2019 and the list is pretty spectacular. Well, it's, it's just so huge when you look at our local publishing as well as all of the agencies. It's, well, it's just so exciting. There's a new Elizabeth Gilbert coming, which for me I can't wait for. And yes, yeah, so many other highlights and on the local side too. Um, the next title I wanted to talk about today though, um, is not essentially a new book. It's, it's been released fairly recently in paperback, but I wanted to chat about it because the author won in October last year the Nobel Peace Prize, or she shared the Nobel Peace, Peace Prize with the Ghanaian gynecologist. It's Nadia Murad's autobiography called The Last Girl. Um, Nadia was 
Um, she's an Iraqi, first Iraqi to win a Nobel Peace Prize, and she lived in the north of Iraq in a fairly isolated village. And one day ISIS came in and kidnapped all of the women, the mothers, the children in town and took them to this sort of slave market, essentially, where the terrorists, the ISIS terrorists would come in and pick their sex slaves. Um, and I, her descriptions, uh, it's one of those really heartbreaking memoirs, but actually at the same time talking about the resilience of the human spirit, the idea that that you could not only live through this, but then use it to better the lives of other people. So she had uh, these descriptions of them sort of lying completely unclothed in this room. And ISIS apparently used to send out, uh, they had this sort of glossy magazine that they, you know, their sort of propaganda uh, mag. And the auctions, the slave auctions, were advertised in this glossy mag. And as reward for your service, you were allowed to go and bid on these prisoners. And she... She's lying down on the ground. Everybody's screaming and trying to fight off the men. And she sees this absolute sort of giant monster of a man. And she's terrified that he's going to bid on her. He's sort of showing interest in her. And she's lying on the floor at this stage. And she sort of leans her hand out and touches the ankle, which is a particularly thin, almost feminine type ankle of a man right in front of her and pleads with him and says, please, please take me because I don't want to go with the giant. Um, and it is allowed, which gives her a little bit of a startle. And it turns out that the man who she goes home with is a judge and he is a particularly awful and cruel man. Um, but she survives. Uh, this was in 2014 and she escapes. And she, I, the book is called The Last Woman because she is determined that she will be the last woman who tells a story like this. And, uh, you know, you're listening to what's happening in Zimbabwe at the moment. So often we don't speak about sexual violence in terms of war crimes. And she's determined to have these ISIS leaders prosecuted for war crimes, crimes against humanity. And she just has incredible heart and great, great courage. Um, so read up about Nadia Murad. The Last Girl is an incredibly moving book. Then. Incidentally, all the titles that Tracy's talking about, I will post the pictures of all the covers on our Facebook page. So go to Facebook, search for People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. And then if you caught snatches of a title, you missed something, you want to refund the title and go and order it from the bookshops or buy it over the, you know, over the counter, the resource is there on our Facebook page. Okay, and then we're actually going to move on to fiction. And Stephen had actually sent me earlier in the week this wonderful article about new research that has just come out that fiction, in fact, does make people more empathetic. It improves your EQ and things that we've been saying for years that books do. We now have a definitive study saying read fiction because it'll change your heart and it'll change the world. So, on to the fiction. 
Um, where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. Again, it has released quite recently. Some of you may have the book already. If you haven't got it, it is so worth a read. If you're a fan of Barbara Kingsolver, Delia's descriptions of nature are hugely reminiscent of a lot of Barbara's books. Very beautiful writing. Um, it's the story really of a young girl beca- called Kaya C- Clark. Um, and there are two parallel storylines running together. They're, it's set in the 1960s, and both of these storylines are running into each other. One is running ahead in time, and one is running backwards. The one that's running backwards is a murder that occurs in this little town in North Carolina, which is sort of banged up against the marsh, the marshlands. And the golden boy in the town, he's a sort of, he's a football hero, you know, sort of quarterback, blonde hair, golden boy is found murdered. And immediately the town suspect Kaya, who has over the years become called the Marsh Girl, and she's become almost the sort of boogeyman in this community. And then the earlier story is Kaya's, her, well, it is Kaya's story. And it is a heartbreaking story. She lives in a house sort of battered right up against the marsh at the end of the road. She's teased. She's bullied. And as a very young girl, her mother leaves the family home. Her father is an abusive drunk. And the mother leaves her and her four siblings. And slowly, by the time she's five, all of her siblings have left. And she is... She is the last carer at five years old, and she learns to make meals for her father, who, because he's off on a drinking binge, is sometimes gone for days. And one day he just doesn't come back, and Kaya is abandoned by her family, the school system, the the town, um, for a very long time, until... Nature becomes her mother in a lot of ways. She retreats into the marsh and lives with the plants and lives with the animals. And she's incredibly smart. And one day she meets two guys from town who give her the opportunity to connect with real people, to make genuine connections. But clearly something goes wrong because... The golden boy ends up murdered in the marsh. It's very beautiful, just wonderfully, and I know it's such an overused word, but genuinely atmospheric writing, it, it is very beautiful. And since it came out in America, it's been selected by Reese Witherspoon as her book club choice. Yes, indeed, indeed. So there might yes. even be a movie made. Maybe. <laughs> we'll be back with more books we're looking at fiction now from Jonathan Ball Publishers straight after this break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We are in conversation with Tracy from Jonathan Ball Publishers. We are moving through the list of books that Tracy selected. She curated very carefully to cover all bases. And we've got a few novels left, so I'm going to keep quiet so that you can get through some of the most powerful writing. Thank you. I'm hoping to squeeze two more in before we finish up. Um, the next one that I want to talk about has just released in the last week, and it's a book that has caused quite a stir in the UK. It was number two on the Sunday Times bestseller list for quite some time. 
Bridget Collins is beside herself. It is The Binding by Bridget Collins, and it has now arrived in South Africa. And it's one of those beautiful books about books. Um, so, like Shadow of the Wind or... I'm trying to think of some others, Possession, maybe The Book Thief, um, but books that book people love because books have a cameo in them. And here, well, I hear books are not the cameo. They're the star of the show. The premise of The Binding is that oh, bookbinders, libraries are not quite what they are in our world. Books are repositories for memories memories, stories that you would like to purge yourself of, be it childhood trauma. You go and you write, tell your story to a bookbinder and you lose all memory of it. Any trauma that you have is poured into the book and it lives only between the pages of the book. You have absolutely no recollection of it. And a young man working... On his parents' farm, his family's poor. He's approached to become an apprentice bookbinder. And he's quite, those people are suspicious of the bookbinders because while it's wonderful to purge the memories that you don't want to carry, be they, you know, crimes that you've committed or as I say, pain, trauma that you'd like to move on from. Um, but people are suspicious of these binders. But as the family's poor and you are supposedly born a bookbinder or otherwise. Um, he moves in as the apprentice, and shortly after his master, why can't I think of her name now, Cerebus, um, passes away, he inherits her library of bound books, and in the library he finds a story with his name on it. And so the story goes from there. It's it's a wonderful premise about books. It's an incredible page-turner at the same time. I sort of defy you not to finish it in a sitting. It's it's compelling, it's beautiful, it's new, and it is also very beautiful to look at. And Exclusive Books is doing a big push on this title. Yes, it is their book of the month. And then the last one, which I really will finish talking about in 30 seconds, I just wanted to quickly say that John Boyne says of it before I speak about it, there is something special here. It's called When All Is Said by Anne Griffin, and it is a debut novel, and it is an 83-year-old man who is sitting, he's packed up his life, he's he's ready to die, um, and he's sitting in a bar in a hotel and he raises he orders five drinks to raise a toast to the five people who most impacted his life and as you hear that you must think oh goodness five people you meet in heaven and yes it is in some ways but in other ways it's something very different because it is one of the sort of new Irish authors Ella John Boyne, who have come forward with, I don't know, something is in the water there at the moment. A very special debut when all is said. Do look for it on the shelves. That's our wrap for this week. Keep reading all these titles. I will post them on Facebook shortly. If you are joining your book club sometime this coming week, check out the, all the books that we've spoken about today because they'll all make for really compulsive reading at your book club. I think especially the last few where the core dad sing when all is said and also the binding. And until next week, good Shabbos and keep reading. <laughs>